today. We kind of introduced it last week. We've, been, of course, been in a study of the book of Hebrews, and we got to Hebrews chapter 11, talked about faith, and now this summer we're doing these stories of faith, and the first two we're going to hit this morning. Now, having said that, uh, before we get into that today, we got to have one of those little church family conversations. So if you're a guest, you're more than welcome to listen in. If not, you can turn to Genesis 4 and read it, okay? And, uh, and we'll get there in a minute. But I do want to talk to the church family about some, some stuff. Now, I did this last night, and afterwards, one of, the, one of, uh, one of our family members said, Steve, you've got to get to the punchline quicker. And I said, well, I thought I did, you know? And, and he goes, no, 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 no. The part about this, that you're not going anywhere. And I said, well, that's not the punchline, right? They're stuck with me. That just is, right? And uh, he goes, no, no, no. You need to lead with that tomorrow. So I'm not going anywhere. I'll, get, I'll come back later, but here we go. Um, For those of you who, who maybe are new, let me give you a little history of Desert Springs. So we were planted way back in 1983. I know some of you weren't even developing eyelids at that point. But we, we were planted by a church planter. He was here about nine years, uh, actually probably about, uh, yeah, nine, ten years. Uh, then when he left, another guy came in, just wasn't a good fit. By the fall of 94, church had fallen on some hard times. And they were down to about 60 people at that place. And they, but financially it was really tough. They couldn't even make their mortgage payment, let alone call a new pastor. So what they did was they reached out to a sister church uh, where I happened to be on staff, a church called Palmcroft up on the north side of time. We, we, we mentioned them a lot of times because without them, we're not alive today. And so they said, hey, can you help us? And here's the thing. We are not a denominational church. We're not in a denomination. We are just, we're all independent, but we work together with a group of churches, about 75 here in the area, uh, southwest area, uh, because we are theologically aligned. We're aligned on vision. And so they approached Palmcroft and said, hey, could you help us? So Tammy and I, we went down and we preached a number of times that fall and Eventually, they said, hey, would you be interested as a church in just taking us over? But they had a half million dollars debt on this building where you could write a book about where not to put a church. And Palmcroft wasn't really excited about that. They said, but hey, here's what we can do. We can send Steve and Tammy and four or five other families and we'll see if we can get this turned around. And so what most people don't know, when we started in January of 1995, I was actually still the executive pastor at Palmcroft. And I, so I was bivocational. I've ticked that box in my life, right? So I was just at, at Desert Springs on the weekends. And then when we went full-time in 96 with them, Palmcroft supported us financially and sent more people. And, and, and so with that being our history, when we came to a point as a church where we were healthy and we had a little resource of people and, and things, God, you know, just put it upon our heart to be able to help other churches. And that's what we've done. That's just who we are. So uh, for some of you, 
uh, maybe go back to, uh, there was a church in Peoria, First Baptist of Peoria, that fell on hard times. Their, their pastor was at, at the verge of burnout. In fact, he was past that verge. But uh, he was just done. And so we went in as a church for, I don't know, six, eight weeks. And uh, we sent preachers. I preached a week or two. And we sent people to do worship. We sent greeters. We sent all that and was able to help them get through that time. And then the church was actually able to merge with another. And it was a great thing. And then I think it was, what, 2013 when we started helping another church down in Gila Bend. And uh, we worked with them for about a year. I know some of you went down there with us and we uh, were, were helping them uh, again for, for about a year's time. And then there's uh, one of our sister churches in Tucson after 65 years closed their doors. And so then we got involved with being able to replant a church there. And Hope City Church just went independent, right? They don't need our support anymore as of, I think it was January this uh, and, and so that's just what we do. Plus, we plant churches. Plus, uh, be 10 years this summer. Uh, I was asked to take the leadership role within our association of churches. And you all said, absolutely, Steve. We, we want to give you that margin to be able to do that. So I get to coach churches all the time and, and, and be a part of that. So that's just who we are. So having said all that, uh, one of our sister churches has come to a point of they're, they're in a difficult situation. And for us, this one is really close to home because sadly, it, it's the church that helped us so much and it's Palmcroft. So what they're finding out this morning is that their pastor uh, ha has resigned and uh, will not be with them anymore. And, you know, there's, there's some backstory to this that in this kind of a setting, I just... I, don't have the freedom to be able to share, but our elders have been aware of this. We've been praying for them. We have reached out to them and said, you know, just, hey, if there's ever anything we can do to help. And, uh, and what they, they've come back with is this, the question to us was, would you be willing to allow Steve to come Give us some time in June and July to just kind of steady the waters as we kind of try to figure out the way to go. And as we talked about it, we prayed about it as elders, um, both with the history, also kind of knowing what's going on now, we felt like, hey, this is what we do, right? This is, the, we help other churches. It just typically, it doesn't take me away on Sundays, um, but for, you know, this time it's going to. It ended up actually kind of being a really great season for us because I take some time off in the summers anyway. So I think it's actually only three weekends that I was scheduled to be here that I'm not going to be. Uh, but for instance, this weekend, so I've got meetings a week from Monday in Portland with, with our national association. So uh, Portland is five hours, four hours from Yakima, Washington. Right? Have you ever been to Yakima? So nothing there except my wife's twin sister. <laughs> so we're flying out Tuesday, and this is a Tammy vacation, right? If you've never been to Yakima, Washington, I can tell you the really fun thing to do if you're there by yourself, because when she gets with her sister, I'm by myself. <laughs> you can go to the Costco there and see what they have that we don't have in our Costco here. It's, it's a lot of fun, and you've kind of hit the high point right? 
So that's what I'm going to be doing this week. And so I wasn't going to be here next weekend anyway. So uh, when all this came about, I said, man, I don't mind driving to Seattle. I'll just fly home Saturday night preach Sunday morning. In fact, it worked out well. We could move our uh, town hall off of Father's Day, and I'll be here for that, and then I'll just fly back for the meetings on Monday. So, but here's the thing. A, this is what we do as a church. In the past, we've sent people to be greeters, to do music. We don't need that this time. Here's what I need for you. And I need from you. And that is, I need you to very specifically to be praying for our sister church. They're walking through some difficult time. You know, it's been 27 years since we've gone through a transition, right? So for us, it's not that, that common. Uh, but this is a short one. Uh, so I think it's only been four years since the last one. Um, and just pray that God will give them grace, will bring them through this. And that the Lord will set their, their path going I, I need prayer, right? It's a hard situation for me to walk into and to, you know, I'm an outsider to speak words of encouragement and, and, and peace. But here's the thing that I really did want you to know, and that is, folk, because I knew, I knew the question would be, well, hey, man, is, 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 is that where Steve would really like to go? And the answer that is absolutely not, Desert Springs is, is God's calling upon Tammy and I, right? This, this is our thing. And, and the reality is, and I know most of you don't live in my world, but for us, this is the perfect situation. I mean, 27 years in, and many of you don't know, but before, you know, I grew up in a pastor's home, and my dad did long pastorates, but, you know, there was some change after 17 years. And so when I was on staff and I was thinking about at some point, you know, senior pastor, and I prayed, God, it would be really cool if you'd let me kind of settle in one place and just kind of do my whole career there. Folks, we're 27 years into this. I think he answered that prayer, right? We're, we're, we're going to do. Plus, for me, I mean, we are in such a good place, a healthy place. We have such a strong staff which, by the way, you know, as the guys are going to be, you know, continuing on these stories of faith, we got such a strong preaching thing. And we even talked Robbie coming back to, to do one of our weekends for us. And, and, and so we are just, we're, we're in such a good place. And you guys allow me to, you know, to do this stuff at this point in my career to help and speak into other churches. I mean, there is no grass greener. This is exactly where I want to be. In this, I, I was thinking about it driving this morning. The only thing I would change is that we had that next $5 million in the bank. So when we break ground in two months, we're doing it all, right? So keep praying about that. Um, but, but I do need your prayers. And I do believe that this is what we do and this is what God has called us to do. And so I, I really appreciate your prayers and your support. Um, but specifically your prayers for our, our sister church. They're just walking through some, some difficult waters. And, um, and I'm thrilled that we're going to be able to, to be able to help them some with that. So, now, if you've got your Bibles, we're in Genesis 4. If you weren't with us last week, we introduced this idea of living by faith in Hebrews chapter 11. For without faith, it is... 
impossible to please God. So he describes faith, then he talks about the importance of faith, and, and then tucked in verses 4 and 5 of Hebrews 11, he, he mentions Abel and he mentions Enoch. Now notice he's going to now tell all these stories. He's going to talk about Noah. He's going to talk about Abraham and Sarah. He's going to talk about excuse me, Joshua and Moses and Rahab. By the way, don't miss that weekend. That's a, such a great story of, of God's redemption and faith. But to be real honest, Abel and Enoch are like really fairly insignificant Old Testament characters. So why in the midst of all he's doing, why would he start with these two? Was it, you know, is that just strange or was it strategic? What I'm going to argue with you today is that it was strategic. Even though Abel gets 10 verses and uh, Enoch only gets five, they're very significant stories. So let's read Genesis chapter four, verses one to 10. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel and Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you that you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. So what do we know about Abel? First of all, Abel was the second born son of Adam and Eve. Now, I happen to be a second born. We got any second borns in here? Right? Okay, so then you are aware of this. The first time a husband and wife come together and they create a child, it's usually not perfect, right? They're, they're, they're in... They do it again and they get perfection. Isn't that right? You know, that's how that works. And that's kind of what we see here. You've got Cain, who, by the way, is, you know, we're going to see his rebellion. He, he's going to be that rebellious seed. Then you, have, then you have Abel, who's the second born. And what's interesting is that he's a keeper of the flocks. Because when we are in chapter 3, where do we see Adam and Eve? They're in the Garden of Eden. And so when you think of the tiller of the ground, which is what Cain is, you don't have to keep it in the garden. But now they've been kicked out of the garden, and Abel is one who's keeping the flocks, and that's something that's important. The second thing that we see is that both Cain and Abel have an ongoing relationship with the Lord. We sometimes get the idea God kicks them out of the garden, and now that relationship is just non-existent. It's not true. 
They're going to worship the Lord. They're going to bring their sacrifices. But notice when God comes and talks there in verses 6, 7, and 8 with Cain. I mean, he talks with him with familiarity. So just that same picture of what we see in Genesis chapter 3 of God walking and talking with them in the cool of the evening. There was a ongoing relationship. They, they knew God. And what we read here is that Abel brought the better, the acceptable sacrifice. What we're not told is why is his sacrifice acceptable and Cain's isn't. Now, the writer of Hebrews, I think, gives us some insight. Remember, he's been writing about how Jesus is so far superior. He's a superior high priest. It's a superior sacrifice. It's better blood. And what he says back that we read last week in Hebrews 11, by faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. The implied thing here, I think from the book of Hebrews, is the better sacrifice. It is because it was the blood sacrifice. You go back to chapter 9. What, what had the author reminded us of? That without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So now that their sin has come in, what covers sin is the blood sacrifice. In fact, the best picture of that, of course, is Adam and Eve, their sin, their shame. They cover themselves with, with fig leaves. And God says, no, 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 that won't do. So what does he do? He makes an a skins, clothing for them from animal skins. The idea is they're sacrificed. And in the sacrifice of the animals to get the skin, there is covering. So the implied idea is that what Abel did was he listened to the voice of the Lord, that what God desired was a blood sacrifice, and he brought of his firstlings. Now, firstlings are... The first fruits, right? They're young. They haven't had time to reproduce. They've only cost you stuff. They haven't made you anything yet. So to get rid of them, to sacrifice them, comes at great cost. But it's what God asked for. And so he walks in obedience. And then lastly, Abel is this example to, the right, to those that he's writing to in Hebrews that those who live by faith will still suffer persecution. Abel is the first martyr in the entire Bible. Who's he writing to? He's writing to people who got saved out of Judaism, but now they're facing persecution for both the Romans and facing persecution from the Jews who are still under Judaism. So what's happening? Well, they're pulling back. They're drifting away. They're walking away. And, and, and the writer has continually said, no, you've got to walk through this, right? You endure hardness. You persevere. Don't give away your confidence because it has great reward. Kind of reminds you of what Paul told Timothy in his last words to him. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Hmm. If that's true, then why is it that so many of us as believers are so frustrated today here in America 
where we have lived in this world and because our country was founded on Christian beliefs, has the right freedom of religion, right? We haven't faced much persecution. But our culture is getting more and more secular, so more and more persecution, name-calling. And yet what I see is I see Christians getting upset by it. And I'm going, wait. From Abel to the tribulation saints who are getting martyred and right before Jesus comes back, everyone who desires to live godly is going to face persecution. It's just because, folks, we've got an enemy out there. We should not be surprised. The encouragement is walk by faith. Face persecution. Endure hardness. The second picture then is of Enoch, and that's just over, in my Bible, just a page into chapter 5, verses, starting with verse 18. Jared lived 162 years and became the father of Enoch. Then Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Now Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. He had other sons and daughters, so all the days of Enoch were 365, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So here's the second one. It's Enoch. He gets five verses. Enoch is the seventh generation of Adam through the line of Seth. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Genesis, you know this. If not, let me just give you a little background. If we had continued to read in chapter 4, what God was going to do was going to trace the lineage of Adam through Cain. Cain is the rebellious line. Cain is the one who does not walk with God. And so that's the end of chapter 4. Of course, what is it leading up to? Well, at the 10th generation, there's a big flood. Have you heard about that? And God destroys the world because every, all the thoughts of men's hearts were only evil continually. So God traces that in chapter 4. In chapter 5 now, he chase, traces the line of Seth, the godly one. So Cain kills Abel. They have another son. Abel was righteous. Now there's Seth. Seth is righteous. In fact, it is through the line of Seth that we're going to get Noah, who, by the way, is the great-grandson of Enoch. And so what you have here is this righteous line. And so what do we learn about Enoch? Well, it tells it twice. He walked with God. Verse 22, then Enoch walked with God. Verse 24, Enoch walked with God. Here, compare this to Cain who walked in rebellion, who did it his way, and now he is even further chased from the presence of God because he's murdered his son, you have Enoch who walks with God. He walks by faith. He is one who is honoring to the Lord. Now, the, the really, in the book of Genesis, the really fine comparison here really isn't Enoch with Cain. It's Enoch with a man by the name of Lamech. Lamech is the seventh generation from Adam, 
but through Cain's line. So turn back there. Chapter 4, what is it? Verse 19. Lamech took to himself two wives. Wait, what was God's plan? God's plan was one man, one woman, one lifetime. Like leave and cleave, become one flesh. Well, as Cain was rebellion and rebellious, Lamech now decides he knows better than God too. Just like Cain thought, well, I know better. I'm not going to bring a blood sacrifice. I'm going to bring the produce that I got. Lamech goes, hey, I like this wife thing. I'm going to get a second one. I'm going to do it my own way. And then, oh, by the way, skip down to verse 23. So Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. So it's not just simply that he took two wives, but now, even by his own words, he was offended he was injured by a young boy, so he killed him. Cold blood. Kind of sounds like cold blood murder, right? And yet he's justifying himself. The rebellion. That's the seventh generation. In three generations more, God's going to destroy this earth because that's how it is. In the middle of all of this, at the seventh generation, at the same time when men are only doing what's right in their own eyes, you have a man by the name of Enoch who says what? I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to walk by faith. And because of that, Enoch is taken into heaven early. He's only one of two men in the Bible who were told, don't die. The other one's Elijah, is caught up by the chariot of fire. Enoch doesn't die. It's almost like God's just having such a good time walking and talking with Enoch. He just says, man, come on up here. Almost makes you think a little bit of the rapture, eh? And that's what the writer of Hebrews is pointing out. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not because God took him up for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. So Enoch, where Abel is the example that, hey, when you, there's going to be persecution and you need to persevere through that, Enoch is the example of the future reward. Walk faithfully in a culture that tells you to do it the wrong way pushes you to do it in a way that is not pleasing to God. Enoch is the example. You live by faith, and there is great reward. Because see, Enoch understood judgment was coming. Enoch is actually quoted in the book of Jude. It, the quote is not from the Bible. It's from a, a different text. But Jude quotes it as coming from Enoch. And it was, it was about these about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam, so we're talking about the same guy, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with many thousands of his holy ones to ex execute judgment upon all, to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in, all the, in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch believed in faith judgment was coming. Oh, by the way, three generations later, it was going to be there with the flood. 
So he lived for that day. He lived a life of integrity. He lived a life that followed after the Lord. And God, in the midst of that, blessed him in an incredible way so that he didn't have to go through that time of judgment. He didn't have to see the world getting worse. God just took him home. There is great reward in following the Lord. So what are our takeaways? Well, there could probably be a boatload, but I, I just shrunk it to three. The three takeaways for you and I this week that we get from Abel and Enoch. The first one is this. Faith is first and always first shown by faithful obedience to God's word. You know, so often when we think about faith, we think of the great things. We think about the parting of the Red Sea. We, th- we think about calling down the, the walls of Jericho. And we want to be a person of faith. But the reality is, in God's eyes, is not the great things that show great faith. What shows great faith is simply to take God at his word and in the course of our life to follow him as closely as we possibly can. And today in our culture, man, we don't like that. We don't like God coming to us with his ways. We're kind of like Cain. Like, you want to be worshipped with this, but we want to worship you this way. And so we we take these points where, okay, well, God, you want me to live in holiness, but I kind of like the porn, so I'm going to be okay here, but I'm going to serve you over here, and that's all going to work out. And God says, no, 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 This this is where faith is found, is that you walk to the best of your ability in obedience to what I've told you to do. Align your life just simply day by day, moment by moment with the truth that I've given you. That's how you show faith because you're living for that day. Ah, but we don't like that. That's hard. Yeah. You know, we're willing to stand in those big moments and say, I'm going to have faith, but... But what God wants is just do what he tells you to do. Couldn't help but think of that story of King Saul when he was told to go kill the Amalekites because of their rebellion. And, and he was supposed to not only kill them, but all the animals. And, and he goes and God gives him a great victory. But when he gets there, man, all these animals. And Saul's a farmer, Right? He sees these cows and sheep, and he goes, oh, man, they're really good, right? So he, he brings them back, and he also keeps King Agag alive, because that's what they did. They would bring the kings, and they would, you know, that was where they kind of gloried in it, right? They, they'd subject the king, and it was, it was just doing it. And so God tells Samuel, and I don't know if there's going to be reruns in heaven, but I'd like to see this one. Because here comes Saul, and he's so proud of himself, and here comes Samuel, and he's an old man at this point, and I could just see his bony little finger, right? And, uh, and he looks at Saul, and he says, Saul, why didn't you obey? And Saul's answer was, I did. I did. We, we, we wiped them out. We, we, did, we did everything. And then Samuel says, but what's the bleeding of the sheep that I'm hearing, the lowing of the cows? Well, oh. You know, uh, uh, we brought those to sacrifice, right? And what's the king doing here? Uh, 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 
And Samuel looks at him and says this, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And of course, the implied answer is no. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed more than the fat of rams, for rebellion is a sin of witchcraft, divination. Do you know how God spoke against witchcraft? Somebody practically put to death. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft in the eyes of God. And insubordination is as inequity or iniquity and idolatry. God hates idolatry. It's number one, right? You'll have no other gods before me. But that's what insubordination, when we know the word of God. How do we show faith, living faith? It's just every day, to the best of our ability, we live in alignment with God's word. And when we're set with temptation, we we respond by going, we're going to follow after the Lord. And if we happen to fall, we get back up, we repent of that, and we turn and we follow Jesus. That's how you show living faith. That's the faith that has bring reward. Secondly, faithfulness to Jesus is always going to be tested. Abel cost him his life. Enoch he lived in a very ungodly world, but endurance is part of this. You know, Jesus said back in John 15, if, if you were of the world, the world would love it because you'd be part of it. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Boy, can we, can we get this as believers? This world is not our home. We, we live for a different day. We listen to another king. We live with a different way of viewing life. And that doesn't set world in this world. We're going to face endurance. Jesus said in Matthew 10, it's enough for the disciple that he has become like his teacher and the slave that he's become like his master. And so if they called the head of the house Beelzebul, now think about that. Jesus was called Satan by the world how much more will they malign the members of his household folk we live in a culture it's turning more and more secular the persecution is going to continue to wrap up so how do we respond we get mad we get angry is that how Jesus responded we live Jesus We show him in our life. We keep our eyes focused on that day. There's going to be endurance, right? There's just no easy path. Life is hard, and life as a Christian is hard. We get sometimes this idea that, oh, no, okay, you follow Jesus, it's going to be like a bowl of Michigan Bing cherries in the middle of July, which are really good. It's not the way it works, because... First of all, life itself, we live in a fallen world. It's just not easy. But beyond that, now as a follower of Christ, we have an enemy. Endure hardness. The author of Hebrews put it this, don't give away your confidence because it has great reward. Lastly, I got to be done. Here's the third thing. Focus. The focus of our life ought to be just simply living faith today. And not so focused on the outcome. So you got Abel, who was a great man of faith, but because of his faith, ended up getting martyred. 
you have Enoch, who is a great man of faith, and he actually got caught up to heaven and didn't even have to die. Now, which of those two would you prefer? Right? Wouldn't we all want to be Enoch? That'd be great. But the truth is, the outcome is not up to me. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what God's going to ask me to walk through. All he asked me to do is to focus that today I follow him with my whole heart. We leave the outcomes to him. I mean, we're going to talk about stories again, the parting of the Red Sea, the falling of Jericho, Daniel and the lion's dead. These are great, man. We'd all sign up for that. But that's the thing. You get to the end of the chapter and he says, and there are others. Uh-oh. They didn't fare as well. In fact, the first one, they were sawn in two. Now, folks, on my top ten ways of going, sawn in two doesn't make that list. We think it was maybe Isaiah. Isaiah, faithful. Folk, the outcome is up to the Lord. What's on us is the focus of following Jesus with our whole heart. Walking in obedience even when it's hard. Even when everything in our culture says, no, 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 do it this way, do it. This. No, we are going to follow Jesus. We're going to live for that day. And you lead the outcomes to him. Because the cool thing is, no matter what the outcome, he walks you through it, doesn't he? He's the one that promised, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So, if it, I mean, Lord, if it's a path of sickness, don't want it. But if that's the path, we'll go. Because you'll be with me. If it's health and prosperity, you'll be with us. Focus on following Jesus.